Frank. Frank, mind it, man. Frank is all about capturing real, authentic, unedited conversation. So it's one sitting of coffee, but I would probably drink all of it. <laughs> I have to have similar rules, or I won't sleep. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a, after two o'clock. I mean, at half three, I have to have a big discussion about the whole coffee and not coffee. And <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, is that your book on the shelf behind? Um, here it is. I've got one in my oh, hand. Yeah. Yeah, I figured you have one behind as well. Oh, I think there is. Yeah, very good, yeah. Right. Give us a look, give us a look, hold it up. Very nice. I liked, I really like the front cover, like the little, the rip and all that. Yeah, it's a good production, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and are you happy with it? Yeah, yes. Are we rolling, by the way? Is this we're, it? Yeah, I think it's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're rolling, yeah, we're live. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've read probably, I've read well to halfway, and then, because I knew I just wanted to um, flick through it towards the end, so I know I will read it, but I'm really enjoying it. Good, good, yeah. 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 It's um, it's 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 it, it's obviously totally different than it's not that it's totally different. I kind of like because I was wondering when I was thinking about it at the very start. I was going before I'd read it or anything. Obviously, the, in the non-dual world, it's a kind of a contradiction almost to write a story. But once you read it, you realise that it's kind of too totally different things what you're doing in a way it seems to be to me when I was reading it was kind of going okay see what's happening here you're kind of everything is exposed almost but there's no at the end of the book I, I actually I, sh I shouldn't say that you see <laughs> I don't want to give too away I don't want to give too much away you see <laughs> so but it is a different sort of a book to I uh, hope you die soon or the question and answers books. Yes, it's very different indeed. It's a book of stories. Yeah. About this character's life, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I wrote down a couple of words just uh, because I, I suppose I could relate to a huge amount of it um, in the storytelling of it, but especially I think it's okay to go into some of the stories to create a bit of a tease. If, you know, somebody, uh, people who 
like your work will be interested, but we don't want to give too much away either. Is that, do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but so I just talked to the couple of things that kind of resonated in the first half anyway. Um, the, the acid, when you took the acid, mm -hmm. it almost kind of bended the brain a little bit to give the sense of everything that you thought you knew that could be a different perspective. And that kind of shook you almost. And that's, you kind of say that maybe might have kick-started this kind of looking for more, the seeking thing for more, yeah. into the, delving into the spiritual world. Yes, it, uh, it, it, it definitely did that. Yeah, there's no question of that. I mean, what would have happened without that acid trip? Who knows, something else might have um, booted me into looking into the, uh, let's call it the spiritual world. But um, that acid trip, kind of revealed that reality, reality as I'd experienced it up to that point was only one version or one possibility and there may be many, many, many other versions of reality. So really nothing was the same after that, yeah. Mm. Major experience, not a very pleasant one, but it was certainly very major, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was kind of really interesting. Um... Only because I was tipping along and it only took a bit of weed for me. And um, just I remember so clearly, even in the same words that you'd written, this idea of having smoked a bit of weed that my version of reality could be changed just like that. It was, it was strikingly, took me ages to kind of even get my head around that something could be that everything I was sure about and knew and was clear about wasn't the case in a moment. And it was totally striking. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Everything's thrown up into the air. Yeah, all the certainties disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, because in the... Uh, the really what your book is doing is exposing through telling a story but exposing the nuttiness of what a seeker i mean you're a hardcore you are you are a hardcore seeker i mean really I, hardcore i certainly was yeah 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 you had lost done unturned almost no and i think it's that com it was that combination for me you know i started off uh, looking through, uh, I'll use this phrase very approximately, the Eastern spiritual paths. And then I got involved with Western psychotherapy and uh, particularly a kind of combination of the two. And uh, it just provided such rich food, really, for the seeking mind. So, uh, yes, it was very hardcore, yeah. In every way, though, in everything that you were doing, almost, it was kind of like, there's a lot of seeking stories, a lot of things from everything and anything just seemed to, it's, it almost expresses the energy so well of just, you know, looking everywhere. I mean, looking back from this perspective, it seems pretty extreme. But I mean, at the time, it seemed just normal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
And of course, like a lot of people, I had around me a kind of um, happy band or a congregation of fellow seekers. So that made it seem especially normal. Mm. And did you have any idea what you were looking for? You couldn't have had really. <laughs> that's a very, that's a very good question. Um, ultimately, of course, um, no, I, I don't think the, uh, the, the seeking person, I've used that phrase, can ever really know what it's looking for. But, um, you know, it seemed, it seemed like that because there seemed to be glimpses of a kind of reality which was a lot more um, fulfilling or a lot more pleasant than just everyday reality. And so I think the mind thought, well, what I'm looking for is more of that. And eventually maybe there will be this happy state that um, enlightened masters live in <laughs> where that kind of more pleasant reality becomes permanent. I mean, some kind of befuddled idea like that. Yeah. Um, very mixed up with the uh, notion that there was a lot of stuff that had to be got rid of in order to um, achieve that, whether that came from the kind of Eastern ideas of working through karma or the Western ideas of kind of working psychotherapeutically through, you know, past experience and so forth. I mean, in a way, they're different versions of each other. So I think there was a kind of befuddled idea of what it was that the personality thought it was seeking. I mean, I could say that really I, it was also, it was a, a lot of fun. I kind of got hooked on that. And because once you enter into that world, or once I entered into that world, there's lots of, um, lots of relationships to be made around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ad addictive. It, oh, extremely addictive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, as it turned out, far more addictive than drugs. I mean, once I got involved, even with, um, you know, the kind of the first meditation movement I got involved with, it was very easy to give up drugs. Yeah. yeah. Well, you obviously, because I was just, it might have been your wife at the time, because I think you said something like, oh, I wish I could afford to go and do that. Or, and she said, well, you could if you didn't spend it all in fucking therapy and retreats and everything. Yeah. That was actually a friend of mine. Friend. Um, okay. said that to me rather scornfully. Absolutely, and it really did hit me. You know, yeah, this is true. I am spending most of my time and money, um, you know, on that kind of thing, retreats and therapy, and uh, yeah. Absolutely. But essentially, like almost, we're, you're taking somebody. It's like marketing. You're taking somebody else's word for us that somehow we take somebody else's word for it. They look like they, something's happened and their lives are amazing and they're all wise. And that's what, on the surface, it looks like. We're taking somebody else's word for it and that they've arrived somewhere that they sometimes might deny or not deny, but we're taking their word for it and they say, well, here's the way for you to get there. Yeah, I mean, that goes very much to the core of it. I think really the most intense, one of the most intense fuels for seeking is projection. You know, it's our ability to project onto some other figure these kind of glorious illusions that they live in some beautiful, perfected state. And uh, if only we could 
um, follow them and learn from them, then we too will live in this beautiful, perfected state. You know, it's the, you know, the idea, if you like, of the enlightened master. Yeah. And without that, you know, seeking just kind of collapses. Once those projections are seen through, and I think once they're seen through, they're just gone forever, and they can probably never be replaced. And then the whole game really collapses. Yeah, but um, it's, it's, it's mad, though, isn't it? Like, is it almost like... Because we grew up with a, a father or an authority figure, a mother, and then we had God and, and we had, you know, bosses. And you kind of always had to take other people's word for it. You know what I mean? We've, we've, been, we've got the ideas that this is a world and we've, when we're born, we're told what time it is, that we need to get there on time and everything that... But we've taken all this on as rock solid, can't be not true. This is fact. And so then equally, when somebody appears to have figured all of this out and they look like they're really, for, I mean, it's so mad that we think they even look like they're at peace or whatever. And we go, yeah, I want what they've got because there's a, obviously some sort of a lack. But I think deeper within it all is that sort of, I mean, people are, to be honest, it's that lack, really, that makes you more susceptible. There's a lack, and it appears like that lack can be filled through X, Y, or Z. And so, fuck, you'll do anything to fill that void, that gap. Yeah, it's the simplest trick in the world, really, is to sort of sit around looking as if, you know, you know what it's all about and invite people to flock to you. I mean, it's the simplest guru trick in the world. And absolutely, it's based on this very, very deep um, psychological impulse that we have, as you say, you know, uh, you know we're, when, we, when we're born, we know very little and we naturally kind of follow and believe what our parents say. It's probably quite a good evolutionary trick, actually, to assume that the big people around you know what they're talking about. It helps with our survival. And we uh, adopt or we get this habit which becomes ingrained in us very deeply indeed. Um, yeah, yeah, you must know something more than I do, particularly because you look as if you do. And yeah. if I follow you, I can have that as well. And it can be a huge shock when that's broken, you know, when that, um, uh, when that impulse to project this all-knowingness onto another person or this holiness onto another person, when that's shot, when it kind of breaks apart, it can be a huge shock, actually. It can leave people for some time in a state of despair or, um, you, know, quite, you know, quite kind of lost. Yeah, well, it was kind of like somebody said, and I was chatting to um, uh, perhaps a mutual friend of ours, actually, um, Robin in Norway. But we, uh, oh, yeah, Robin. Yeah. Yeah, we might talk to you at the end, actually, about Robin. But uh, I was over in Norway um, during the summer. Yeah. But, um, he was kind of talking about this idea that people would sit at the foot of masters like you know not master but like a gangaji people would go there year in year out and year in day month in retreat and they'll keep going to these people and really hold them up but then it's the same way in almost the same way if you kind of have an idea about let's just say non-duality like or 
you know, you go to a, a Tony Parsons meeting over and over again because you, you kind of go, well, at least here there's not bullshit. But then you kind of keep going. If you keep going that and you kind of go, you become almost rigid in your mind. Well, no, this is a clear communication and this isn't. And you fall into another trap of going and you almost go, well, they, even though they say they don't have it sorted, they have it, they're there. And it's that seeking energy that almost holds everything and anything in reverence or tries to find a God to look up to or a, a thing that has it and to, to you know, and if you, if you kind of look at, if you were to be a real statistician and look at the percentages of, let's just say, liberation versus not liberation, it's, you'd be kind of saying to the person going, you might be better off doing the lottery this week as opposed to spending your money in a meeting. Spend the money, 50 euros on a lottery if that's really what you're looking for, you know if you really look at the facts and figures of it, there's, there's no chance of anything ever happening, <laughs> apart from an experience. <laughs> Isn't it? If you were to look at it that way, you kind of, but yet, even though it's like kind of when you're smoking a cigarette and, and yet you can read on the package it causes cancer, you're still going, won't happen to me. It's the inverse of that. When people go to, to meetings and search and seek and trying to find this thing that they think exists. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, it, it, it's kind of obvious in a way, you know, we will go where the energy takes us as long as that energy is there. And I think, you know, in general, probably most of us never break out of our projections. And that's um, the case whether or not we're spiritual seekers. Mm. You know, I mean, if, if we're not spiritual seekers, we'll probably be projecting onto political figures and all sorts of people. And I think, for, you know, for, 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 for most of us, that never ends, that never stops. But if it does stop, it's a kind of revelation. It really is, you know, to suddenly see that, oh, yeah, actually, everybody is pretty much like me and I'm pretty much like everybody else. And, you know, whether the perfected being is a spiritual leader or a political leader makes no difference, really. It's all a kind of huge game, really. And when it collapses, it collapses and that's it. It's over. Yeah. Is a bit of a, for you, there's a, was a guy, was a Gurna, I can't remember, an it began with a G and ended with an I. Um, the guru I followed. Yeah, it was, it was one guy called, I really liked the story. Guru I was actually Ananda Yogi. It was, what was his name? Guru Raj Ananda Yogi. Isn't that a wonderful name? I mean, what an invitation to projection that is. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, wonderful name. But I shook with laughter at uh, Mary Magdalene. Oh, that is one of the, uh, maybe oh, we won't. Maybe we'll use that as a tease, and we won't yeah. tell that story. We won't tell. That's one of the it's most a, wonderful stories there is. I think it's that's a great a story. Story. Yeah. Oh yeah, we won't tell it, but I can see how. That... If I hadn't, if I hadn't experienced it, I wouldn't believe it. But I actually knew two of the Mary Magdalene's myself. You know, so I can thoroughly authenticate it. But it's such a. Such a wonderful trick, yeah. Oh my God, I just thought, yeah, that's just genius. And, uh, but I suppose in a way, 
the letdown and disappointment of if that was what it was at the time when all the various things were exposed about this guru and all gurus that you seem to come across that um that, that disappointment was a gift almost well in a, you know it was a gift just to be liberated from the idea that somebody is special yeah it's um it's a very painful process to go through if you followed somebody devotedly to sort of suddenly see their feet of clay it's very painful but it can be highly educative yeah. and um it can be a great in a way it can also when when we work through whatever psychological trauma that disappointment involves it can be um it can be truly uh, liberating in a way you know it can liberate us from all sorts of false ideas yeah so in a way it is a gift to yeah. um, follow somebody so devotedly and then have it all collapse around us yeah yeah and that was the sense from the book it was kind of like <laughs> whilst you had great fun it was one disappointment after another <laughs> in the end everyone it was kind of like uh, you, you know for the first bit that i've been reading it's kind of like you have these amazing things and then it's is that fair to say like it's one kind of a, a thing exposed after another well, I think that's one thread. Yeah, okay. Say. Yes, it's one, it's one thread through it. And then I think as the scales fall from our eyes, we begin to notice how, you know, other things in, work in the same way. So, you know, my kind of fondness for um, religions, for example, my attempts, as many people do, to see a kind of connection between, um, sort of let, let's call it spirituality and religions and so forth, mm. they began to falter and my fondness for religions began to diminish and diminish and eventually collapse altogether. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was... one is left sort of seeing it all in a way as a kind of, I mean, in a way as a kind of gigantic confidence trick, but, um, you know, very colourful and very entertaining and, uh, you know, in that, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting that though, that idea of, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, uh, every time Santa Claus has been taken, <laughs> You know, from, yeah. a from a very young age, Santa Claus is maybe the first to go, but really yeah. everywhere it's Santa Claus, almost. Yes, Santa Claus is maybe one of the first to go. Our own parents, of course, that can be quite traumatic when we start seeing through you know, our own parents. But I think there's an impulse in many of us, you know, the, 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 the desire to um, you know, see some authority figure up there as, um, you know, impregnable is so strong that as we see Santa, through Santa Claus and then as we see through our parents, we just transfer that attitude of projection onto another figure and then onto another and then onto another. I mean, it could be a, it could be a monarch, it could be a politician, it could be, you know, the Pope, it could be a guru. Um, really, until something rather radical and fundamental shifts within us, 
you know, we will just go on looking for somebody who basically can make us feel more secure in what seems like a very uncertain and a rather scary world. Mm -hmm. It might be a therapist, it might be a spiritual teacher, who knows? Yeah, it's the, that craving to feel safe, I suppose, is that it? Or to feel... Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet we hate it too, though, we hate the stagnation and don't want that safety either. I well, so there's a repeating pattern for many of us where we, um, we invest all our love and devotion in some kind of figure out there and then we see their feet of clay, they let us down somewhere and then usually we become very angry with them mm. and then we recover from our anger and we look for somebody else and we invest all our love and devotion in somebody else until, we, until they let us down and so it goes on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um... Never, you know, it never kind of occurring to us that actually none of these people know a damn thing about life that we don't know ourselves. Mm. Yeah, and that's the grow. It's almost a bit of a growing up thing to go to see. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We can't grow up without having these projections busted. Yeah, I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago about imposter syndrome, which has become sort of very well known. Um, recently, it's the same kind of thing, you know, that so many people go around with, the, you know, what they call imposter syndrome, this idea that everybody else is completely competent at what they do, but, you know, I am uniquely incompetent. <laughs> and, you know, you realise that the uh, airline pilot with 40, 30 years experience who's flying your plane probably is suffering from imposter syndrome. <laughs> And so is the man who's doing the delicate surgery on your abdomen when you're in hospital. Yeah. yeah. It's a sort of similar kind of thing. Yeah, so it's this, it is a, a, a seeing authority. I went to this um, meeting for a secondary school for my, uh, one of my kids and it was held in a church and uh, it's, it was a Jesuit, it's a Jesuit school, um, but, uh, sorry, I don't know, that is that's somebody ringing on my mobile, um, but in the church, I was kind of curious to see would there be a Q&A, because it, almost in the church, does that, you're, you're put back in that sense of, I mean, the church is holy ground, there's a reverence, I, she can't speak up and ask a question in a church or be unruly in a church, this is God's house. And I could feel myself going, God, they're not going to, there won't be a Q&A, will there? I mean, how ridiculous. But that's the belief system almost, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The conditioning that's gone into that is absolutely enormous. Mm. I mean, huge, I mean, it's, it's, you could say it's kind of like a huge cultural conspiracy. You've got massive conditioning. And then, of course, you've got all of the paraphernalia that go around it, supporting that, that like the churches themselves, you know, the holy vestments of the, uh, of the priests and the uh, cardinals and so forth. I mean, you, you look at, I mean, look at the, the, I mean, if you take the Catholic Church, for example, look at the theatre that goes into maintaining this sort of huge, I want to say, and I want to say rotting edifice. I mean, it's a vast kind of 
uh, paraphernalia that goes into it, the buildings and the wealth and the rituals. Um, I don't know if you have, if you got to the end of the book, it doesn't sound as if you did, but I, there's a short piece right at the end of the book about um, the Pope and the Catholic Church called the Theatre of Manipulation. And it is really... Ma a mass hypnosis. I did a little bit of that, yeah. I was able to glance at a little bit of that, yeah. That it was, that's it. When you were watching the inauguration, it seemed to you like a mass hypnosis? Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there's a, a, a great... Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a great deal of um, energy going into sustaining these, um, uh, these illusions and yeah. that somehow these... You know, these people, you know, they, you know, they must know more than me. I mean, look at the size of their hats. You know, how could somebody walking around with such a huge hat not know more than I do? Yeah. It's outrageous, really. I mean, even when you, well, it's not the same idea, but when you walk around, uh, I was in the Vatican last year, <coughs> walking through, is it on the way to see the what's the the, ch the church called again the famous church oh you mean the Sistine Chapel Sistine Chapel you know that yeah. you have to make a walk yeah and the up I mean the opulence and the number of paintings it's just outrageous I mean it is outrageous you can't you can't even one painting blends into another painting and to me I'm looking at it going I don't it's I, I is it good? Somebody tell me what's good here and what's not good, because I have, I am just, it's one piece of art after another, and there is no room left to have any more art, because it's just all this gathering in. I just, and so then it, there must be wisdom, almost, in this opulent, ridiculous wealth, because wealth equals power, and that's why they'd never get rid of it all, because there is the, that suggestion of power and therefore authority and therefore you must know what you're talking about in the church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stones speak volumes. Once you've erected a huge building in stones, it's very difficult then to, you know, argue, argue with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just as much, for example, to, let's say, a psychoanalytic institute in a way, you know, once a psychoanalytical, a psychoanalytic institute um, has been founded with a large building made of stones and with impressive entrances and so forth, then somehow it lends credence to the theory. You know, it becomes much more difficult to question the theory. Yeah, it's like branding. It's, it's like what? Branding in marketing. You know, yeah. make it appear like it's really important and then it is really important. Yeah. Yes, it's very, very difficult to question something which seems to be so solid. I mean, the thing, well, it must be based on something solid. You know, the ideas, the beliefs, um, the values must be solid because the buildings are so solid and there is so much wealth associated with it. Yeah. has to be true. It couldn't but be true. Yeah. Um... I mean, only a second thought, you know, reveals to us that, you know, if we contrast, contrast and compare the different truths that are offered to us, then clearly either all of them are false or um, all but one of them are false because they're all claiming their own unique truth and decrying the others. But somehow the conditioning so strong that um, that idea doesn't break through to many of us. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, there is, yeah, the truth. It's like the life of Brian thingy, um, you know, where they split down the road and one person's holding a sandal and the other one's holding a bottle of, I think, oil. And uh, one group run down the road and go, it's in here, it's in the slipper, it's in the slipper. And a load of people go down that road and then the other road splits and they all go after the oil because no, it's in the oil, that's where the answer is. And yeah, the life of Brian is not only very funny, it's very wise as well. Yeah. <laughs> some, mm. yeah, some very obvious truths about the way the human mind works, yeah. Yeah, um, we, want, I, I, we want to feel secure. It's um, very, very, very comforting. Yeah, to feel secure because otherwise you're you've no you've no anchor. It's trying to find an anchor to feel safe in the world. Probably, um, I was amused at the uh, the part of the book when you talked about doing transcendental meditation. And how you kind of go in between, you do it and you'd find yourself getting angry intermittently. But what I was amused more was the idea that um, uh, and somebody, you'd be trying to do your meditation, trying to do your meditation, your meditation, and somebody might cough. I think you made the remark about somebody coughing and then you'd get really annoyed. <laughs> I just think it's so funny because, you know, we learn that that we we somehow take on the belief that if you do meditation, maybe that would bring about states of bliss or peace or whatever, blah blah blah, amount of things. Um, and yet, if we're disturbed ever so slightly, you know, doing the meditation, it's. It just seems so the opposite of the idea in a way. You know, I have to, I am doing my meditation now. Please do not disturb me. Let nothing on this world disturb me. I think it's just funny. I think it's one of the um, factors of um, meditation techniques is that often they, yeah, they do tend to stir up, you know, a lot of uh, detritus, a lot of rubbish that might be lurking around. I mean, one thing you know, not to lose in this is that I think, um, I'm, I'm gonna use the word therapeutic. I think from a, uh, from a therapeutic point of view, I think, you know, a lot of the things that I did and a lot of the things that people do can actually be, um, and again, I'd use this word advice, be quite useful, you know. I mean, I'm not decrying, certainly not decrying meditation. Mm. Yeah. No, I didn't get the impression that you were decrying anything actually in it, but it was almost your own uncovering and the, the way you were able to remark about your own behavior as a result of, well, that's what I took from it anyway, that you were kind of going, this is ridiculous and getting annoyed from doing meditation. Is that, it just seemed like that to me, as opposed to you saying it's rubbish or not rubbish, it was more your own sense of it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of paradox about these things, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I meditated for um, about 30 years. I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't valued it. Yeah. 
And what do you think it is, though, that you valued about it? Do you think it was just that you was you you got something from it? You yeah. or, or, or it, yeah. it gave it gave you the feeling that you were at least doing something. Um, I think both those things, but definitely the first was more important. I wouldn't have done it for 30 years, you know, just because there was some feeling that, oh, you know, I don't feel anything from this, but at least I'm doing something. No, I do think that for, I don't know for how many people, but certainly for some people, I do think practices like that are genuinely, and again, I'm going to use this word therapeutically beneficial, and I'm using the word therapeutic in a very general way there. But um, absolutely, no, I think that um, techniques like that, they can help us relax, they can help us um, work through stress, all sorts of things, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's the same idea, though, as uh, going for a run. For me, I mean, going for a run is therapeutic. You know, that's gets, it's, it's the same sort of, uh, it's good for the body it's good for the mind sort of thing yeah for, for, i mean for me now probably i'd go and sit on a bench in the park and uh look at the lake and i'll probably spend far too much of my life doing that actually but i think um you know back then in the story um of those years ago that probably wouldn't have been sufficient so somehow some of those things that i did seem to you know provide a relief and a release which mm. um wasn't easily available to me in any other way at the time i mean yeah now i'd go for a walk or look at a tree or sit in the park mm. um yeah i had to talk within the book it's very much a kind of a, I'm not giving out, I don't think it, but it's a sense of a dead stop. There's no, it's not a typical story with, <laughs> yeah, how much can I say, you know, happy ending sort of thing. There's no sense there, there's a book called, which I love, I love the title. There's a book called A Sense of an Ending. It's a, it's a little small book, but I like, I really like the title. There is kind of no sense of an ending. Is that is that's not giving away anything? But then it's no, that's not giving a, giving away anything. No, we yeah. never we never find out who committed the murder. No. Yeah, and no, it's not that kind of book. <laughs> and we uh, is there a sense of say the non-dual sort of message is uh, it's a certain sort of message. Um, and were you conscious in a way of, or were you conscious of, or was it just written the way it was written? But, you know, this idea that we all live in this, well, this X and Y and Z leads to liberation, let's just say. That's, and even, you know, we, we won't look for the carrot, but then the seeker will always try to find carrots. Even when there's no carrots, we're trying to find a carrot. In... I got that sense very much that um, there's two totally different things going on here. This is a bunch of stories, but there's absolutely nothing got to do with over here, non-dual sort of message, what you speak about in your meetings. Um, Were you conscious of that, that, you, that it would be, you didn't want to give the impression even slightly that one led to the other, or was it just, that didn't have to be the case? Or were you, was it something you were aware of when you were doing it? 
Yes, I think so. Yeah, there's no, um, I hope there's no suggestion there's any connection. Um, I mean, I, I speak fondly of non-duality in this book at times, but it's very much about a book about, you know, this character who went through these adventures. Um, it was very much intended right from the start to be a very different kind of book. But just going back to something that you um, uh, said earlier um, there, I would say it was in Australia, it was a book that very much wrote itself. Mm. Uh, it, you know, it really did. Mm. It's not like you're... I don't I have a, there's a long, I don't know if you've read it, there's a long chapter in the book about channeling. Oh, I know. That that's about where I am. And I had to then from there, I just started to just skim a little bit because... I, I, yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I don't take, <laughs> I suppose the least I could say is I don't take channeling very seriously. But if I had a different turn of mind and a different set of belief systems, I might be sitting here saying, well, I kind of channeled this book. Because really the process <laughs> of writing it was going and sitting down with a laptop in a nice coffee bar in a comfortable leather armchair and it really did just kind of flow it was tremendous fun to write for that reason you yeah. know it wasn't a struggle in any way yeah okay yeah yeah okay. it's it's kind of quite loosely told in the sense of um yeah it, it's very it was kind of different to read about most stories that you read of kind of or autobiography you get the sense of well, I did this and I great. You know, that's in a way autobiographies are, I went through this struggle and I'm great. In some way, shape or form, I haven't read that many autobiographies to be able to um, guarantee that. But, you know, there is that sense of, look what I've achieved. Whereas how is it told, there is that kind of looseness around it that but here is something that happened. And here is something ha that happened. It's kind of loosely told. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, there was no intention to create this, but you know, afterwards looking back and I thought in a way, I kind of like to feel that reading the book, it's kind of not that different to sitting in a coffee bar having a chat. Mm. It's kind of got that sort of feel to it. Yeah. But it's, yeah. certainly not, it's certainly not a book about achievements, not my achievements. No. <laughs> I mean, in a way, I mean, it's just popped, it's just popped into my head. I was, funny, I was having a conversation yesterday um, about Proust, you know, in remembrance of times past and things like that. And it's just occurred to me that, you know, in a way, this is just a, it's a, it's a book about wasting time, really. You know, not that anything can be a waste of time, but yeah. uh, <laughs> in a way... Yeah, much ado about nothing sort of thing. Much ado about nothing. Yeah, there's all this time and somehow we have to fill it, apparently. Mm. <laughs> and um, this was the way that uh, this character chose to fill it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's what I, I thought. Also, I think also, to I mean, to make maybe sort of a slightly more serious point than, than that, it, it, there is also, I think, I hope, what comes across is definitely that this is, I mean, it seems a bit pompous to call it a journey, but just for this sentence, I will use that phrase that in a way, it's kind of like a journey from credulity to skepticism. You know, I started off very credulous. Um, how could I have followed my wonderful guru if I had not been credulous? 
Um, and then there's this kind of growing scepticism, which I have to say from my current um, point of view is a great deal healthier. Say that, say that again? That's... Well, it's, it, I feel like there's a movement in the book from a position of credulity, or not to say perhaps gullibility, to a position of scepticism. And I think a position of scepticism is much, is much more healthy. Yeah, realistic. It seemed to me that the movement, yeah, this, just this real sense of, uh, sure, here's just another person with a, an idea about nothing. You know, here's, here's just somebody else having a go. That's, yeah, maybe that's my own perception of things, but this is somebody else, this is just another perspective. It's neither like the gurus, it's just a seeing through of all that, all of those ideas and these practices and, and not in a way, I never got the impression like, again, like the meditation or whatever, that you are suddenly saying, don't do these things, or there's no advice, there's no prescription. It's, it's a, I suppose that's why I liked the kind of looseness about it. It's kind of like, well, here's something and I leave it there for you. That's it, you know, and um, take from it what you will. But what I would take would maybe because I could relate to so much of it is that, well, the amount of bullshit out there is unbelievable, though, too. Let's just say that, you know, for a seeker who is, is not cynical, let's just say, or skeptical, you could just go swimming in the sea and see forever. There's so much out there. So oh, much. Yeah. I would say the madness that is out there now is considerably greater than it was, you know, some of those adventures are sort of from 30 and more years ago. And I suppose it's because of the internet that the madness now out there is so much greater. I mean, I don't spend very much time on the internet looking at the latest offerings mm. um, from the possibly plausible, possibly implausible um, <laughs> spiritual offerings from teachers. I, I spend very little time on the internet looking at those, but when occasionally I do, I am gobsmacked by what is now on offer. And I think that in a way, thinking back to those guru days and so forth, they were really quite innocent. Yeah. What's happening now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, if, yeah, I mean, there is no end to our credulity. There's no end to what we will buy, really. Yeah, but then in a way, you know, I, I say that and then you sort of think back to the old religions and you think, well, you know, they were, you know, pretty extraordinary. You know, if, if we could buy Catholicism for nearly 2,000 years, why shouldn't we be buying the latest offering about space aliens? <laughs> you know, the one definitely, you know, the one is definitely no madder than the other. Oh, I totally agree, but yeah, but uh, but also even you see what happened if these say the, these new age or whatever ones they grew at all, and the business or an empire is built around them, then fuck, these organisations will do anything and everything to keep their members. Then, through like the church would have used any sort of technique once they had people. It didn't start, you know, at the start they had to probably sell a little something about God and whatever. 
to get people in, that there was some salvation. But then to keep them, the techniques used, it's like customer, you know, customer acquisitions. I, I related to my marketing <laughs> background, but, you know, to get the customers, and then you have to keep your customers loyal. And then if you can't keep your customers loyal, well, Jesus, you're going to have to use some other techniques like fear of, what? Threats. Yeah, fear and everything else that you're going to burn in the fires of hell. And even things like the word faith, how something like the word faith is, when I grew up as a kid and any time I'd ask a question, it would be, hmm, well, you don't, your faith's a bit dodgy there. I have my faith and I'm just so grateful for my faith. And then you, and it's ye have little faith. And then there's the, the poor Thomas. I always liked poor old Thomas who got branded as the doubter. And then as a result of doubting, you're seen to be doubting in any way. You're seen to be this, it's, it's a dangerous uh, stance to take to, to, uh, to have a doubt. The message there is don't use your own intellect because mm. of course when people use their own intellect that's a tremendous threat to the teachers of religion and faith and so forth and it's the last thing that we should be doing is actually working things out for ourselves and using our own intellect. Mm. I mean the way the whole, the whole edifice is built on sort of you know rotten principles I mean, that's why I start off really by addressing the whole, you know, the idea of faith. Yeah. And how we are, this is held up to us as a virtue and how we are admonished to have faith. And yet it's a most peculiar virtue to encourage people to, you know, don't think, don't ask questions. Blind, unquestioning yeah. belief yeah. is what it means. Believe what this man in this funny black dress tells you. Yeah. So then, like, obviously, in a way, like, so when you have no anchor then in life, say, you know, I talk to my brother, and sometimes my brother goes to me, oh, I wish I had my faith. I wish, you know, I wish I had that. Sometimes he kind of, we're having a few pints together and, he would say it's not, and sometimes, I don't know if he still feels that way, but sometimes he would say, I wish I had my faith now. Because almost when everything, all these illusions are stripped away of this person knows best or this authority has its sister, this wealthy person is unbelievably happy and or this, when all of those things are taken away, what are you left with that? You know, because the, the person, you, you can't want to go, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, and I've nothing left. Yeah, what you're left with is yourself. But you're, you're putting your finger on one of the reasons that these, um, these, these faith-based ways of life are so incredibly attractive and, and so often not questioned. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got a kind of, um, you've got a sort of dual power. One is you know, where, where you have a sort of fairly totalitarian-based religion, as we've had for you know, many centuries, then obviously you don't go against the faith because it would be highly dangerous to do so. But then on the other side, it can be extremely comforting 
you know, you don't have to think things out for yourself. You don't have to face the existential abyss, let's say. Yeah. You don't have to find meaning for yourself in yourself or any of that. So it can be, um, yeah, it's both safer and more comforting to follow the faith. Yeah, and I'd say even when collapses, it collapses. Yeah, when it collapses. Yeah, you can't <laughs> pretend it. It's gone, it's gone, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's going down. Is it your brother you were talking about? What's that? Is it your brother you were just talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to someone like you, you see, I might say, well, you know, what's wrong with going and having a nice walk around the park and sitting under a tree? But that's not necessarily going to be acceptable. <laughs> to everybody yeah and i think you know, i mean I, trouble, I think you're troubled by existential angst you're troubled by existential angst and there you are well the, it is that thing of that's the the abyss the uh when you have actually nothing really to hold on to you have no safe ground you have no daddy figure god figure you have no and then maybe, like you say, in my case, maybe if I was to be truthful, maybe in a certain way, I kind of look to, well, non-duality, maybe. And even non-duality isn't a thing, but maybe if I was to be, do I hold that as something? I mean, that's, I probably do. I don't want to. Yeah. And sometimes I wish, it's probably nine years ago I heard about this thing. And as I was saying to a friend yesterday, it's like something you just can't forget. Unfortunately, I forget everything. Like I forget people's names and I forget and move on from hobbies and interests and food types. You know, my Indian phase ended a good few years ago and became Mexican food on a Friday night. And most things kind of move on. But this, that, this thing, the non-Jew sort of message, it doesn't, I can't forget it. Like I was saying, I, I would like to forget it now. I would like to just not remember this idea, but it just seems to be not something that I for, can forget. But I don't want to hold it up. Like I don't want to have any ideas of what a, you know, a clear message of this area is or a not clear. I, I, you know, I don't want even to be so constricted that I, because it's so empty that almost, you know, to feel like you know something about non-duality, because non-duality is, is, not, is not a thing. It's not, what is it? It doesn't even, it flatlines the brain, even the words. What does it fucking mean? Nothing. But, you, you know, you're still kind of going, well, what's, anyway, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't want to hold that up in any esteem either. Because there's actually so apparent there's nothing to hold up in that area. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, as long as there's um, a personality or a mind there sort of holding on to something, that's probably a lot less sticky than, you know, the old religions and so forth. It's probably a lot less sticky than what many of us have held on to for many years. Yeah. But yet you can't let go, you can let go of the practices and all those things. Not that well, you try to let go of them, you just kind of, maybe you do them someday or whatever. It's not even practice, you don't even think about that. But the idea of 
um, no self, nobody being there. Uh, it's just, you, you can't see, I can't seem to let that go like either, you know what I mean? Well, it'll go when it goes. Yeah. But in the meantime, it's probably not doing anyone any harm. No. But, which is not something you can say about the monotheistic religions. No, well, that's a fact, yeah. I think it's a great advance to be holding on to nothing rather than holding on to Catholicism. I'm sorry. I don't I think maybe it's because you're Irish I keep homing in on the Catholic. No, thing. no, you're bang on. I'm, I'm being a bit unfair, you know. No, 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 you're bang on. I don't yeah, actually know what the difference between the two. I'll, I'll point out that I do have a bit of a go at the Baptists in the book as well. I noticed that, yeah. I, I think you know this should be an, an, an equal opportunity um anti-religious. Um, conversation. So that's all I'd say. That probably holding on to, you know, you know, if we if we need to hold on to something because we fear we might drown otherwise, holding on to non-duality is probably pretty harmless. Yeah, and but isn't it isn't it funny that holding on to that? You know, maybe that's you know when I was away in Norway, I had that really clear kind of sense of oh wow, right, you're you're really you're really holding on to nothing. It's so obvious. You you are now the last thing you're holding on to, dear life, is absolutely nothing. Yeah. It's just a bit. It's just, and it's so obvious. With you know, if you go to your meeting or Tony Parsons meeting, or whatever, there's nothing on offer. Like nothing on offer here. This is you know, there's nothing on offer, and yet you're going no, still though. <laughs> but then when you can hear it in a certain way, it's almost exposed as, wow, you are been presented with nothing, 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 nothing. Or maybe a slightly alternative possibility though, or perception. And yet you're still there going. Yeah. It's kind of so funny. Maybe, maybe holding on to nothing is the last thing to go. Mm. And also maybe, I mean, I'll just throw this in as a thoughtless company, maybe that's why you know, the kind of the speaking about non-duality and so forth so often then becomes actually confused with other things because we do want something to hold on to. And so, you know, we're talking about non-duality and yet very often something else creeps in because it is something that we can hold on to, some, some practice or some doing or something like that. That's okay as well, I mean, it doesn't matter. But maybe holding on to nothing's got you know, would be the last thing to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know if this, this probably won't make sense, but for some reason, that old, you know, Zen story about, um, you know, the monk hanging on to a vine halfway down a dangerous cliff and the vine's giving way. And what does he do? There's a strawberry on the cliff, and what does he do? And so forth. I mean, it's just popped into my head, and maybe the kind of the last thing with non-duality is you really, you're hanging on halfway down the cliff, and you realise actually there isn't even a vine there. Yeah. And yet somehow you still haven't crashed to the bottom of the cliff, and your bones haven't broken. I have no idea if this is making any sense at all. No, I totally don't. All I'm trying to say is that you know, but, you know, if, when the last bits fall away and there is just non-duality we won't find ourselves broken at the bottom of the cliff yeah.
That's a nice image. I, I like that image. It's so obscure. I can't, I, I actually can't tell myself whether I've just said something completely, you know, extremely profound or utterly. No, no it's unbelievably <laughs> profound, Richard. <laughs> or utter nonsense, and it doesn't matter. Um, the, yeah, no, it's, you almost have to feel what you're saying there. There's that sensation of holding on to nothing. At the same time, you've no, <laughs> you can't actually even let go then, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, what was I going to say to you? I had a sort of thought about, um, so the, and I suppose we've talked about this before in a way, but it's, there's the story of the life of the character of Richard, which involves lots of stories. And, yeah. um, and then there's other books about uh, this non-duality thing, but it's, there's a, there is a, a dead stop in almost a dead stop somewhere where the story is over. It, and a dead stop is probably a right description because it's, or is it? But there is a mo. Is there? A, there's a dead stop where stories just finally end. Even though you've told stories, a book of stories, it's apparently a book of stories. Yeah. But the story ends. In a way, yes. I mean, I mean, assuming the character's still actually alive, assuming, the, assuming there hasn't been a fatal heart attack, then obviously events go on, happenings go on, of course. Mm. But yeah, that thing about turning it into a story, which hopefully, you know, I, mean, I mean, hopefully that sort of is fairly obvious in a lot of the chapters in that book. You know, this is very obviously a story, which at the time is being taken very seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of over. Yeah, after that, it's just events happening in a way. I think the story, you know, I mean, what's the, what's the difference between a series of events and a story? And in a way, the difference is that with a story, we're making meaning out of it. We're turning it into something meaningful. Yeah. So, you know, up to a certain point, there are these events and they are assumed to be and interpreted as extremely meaningful, very, very important. And most of all, probably um, um, significant in that they're going somewhere, you know, they're moving towards some higher state or some different state. And then that all ends. And then after that, there are just events. Mm. So it's like the events may be identical, but what changes is that, that there's no interpretation of them anymore. Yeah. Mm. I think that was the bit of freedom about how your, the story is told. You don't, how that book is told and why I kind of liked it more so is the, um, you are almost not interpreting through the writing. It's the story is, the stories are not being interpreted. I can take them on and I can relate to them myself in my own way and I can go, yeah, Jesus, that, I could so relate to that part or, you know, but you're not putting your own but this is good, or this is bad, or this is terrible, or that's that was the kind of freedom and niceness of hearing the stories, kind of unique trait to them. Um, this is quite a 
It's quite a tricky outlook in a way, I suppose, because I hope that what it, it achieves is the sense that while these stories were going on, they were felt to be extremely important and very serious, but now they are being narrated, or if you like, from the perspective of, from which they're being narrated, they are not seen to be like that. So that's quite, a, that's quite tricky in a way. I'm not sure that whether I've pulled it off or not, but you know, that's in a way the perspective. This seemed very, very important when it was happening. I mean, now it seems to be completely unimportant. Yeah. yeah, the loss of the guru is described, and you know, I don't want to give him too much away, but the loss of the guru is very interesting. Yeah. That idea, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a very interesting experience to go through, and a very traumatic experience to go through, because it was taken so seriously. It was felt at the time that it was um, full of meaning and very important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I suppose uh, in the world it's like, you know, it's, the, it's like the end of a, of a rather passionate love affair. A very sudden end. I mean, in this case, it's like, you know, being involved with a very passionate love affair and trusting your partner immensely and then suddenly discovering in some, you know, overwhelming moments that, you know, they have been betraying you. Uh, I mean, that might, might be a little bit overdramatic, but over a little only a little it makes total sense that idea that we have this projection of like even I think I remember years ago let's just I, I think I don't know did Tony Parsons ever smoke do you know oh, yeah, yeah I've seen Tony smoke yeah no because I remember at the first yeah, meeting this, but absolutely yeah. yeah and I remember coming out of one of the first meetings and I think I was driving away and I saw him outside the front of the hotel having a smoke now, this is whatever it and I, I remember at the time going, now what's going on there? How could he be smoking? Yes. And now I look back and now I just think that's just so ridiculous. Yeah, or again, all, yes, all our ideas about purity. Purity and oh, that's yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so ridiculous, yeah. To put on, and he's just enjoying the lovely smoke. Actually, I love, I'll have a cheeky cigarette from time to time because you can't get cancer from... Uh, you smoke only from time to time, Richard. Um, but medically proven fact. I'm sure. <laughs> but I loved your um, small descriptions, which you talked about the fact of the cigarette. I think, and even the foil. I, I, um, and you had the, it wasn't just there was very complimentary about cigarettes. <laughs> Do you, you know what I'm talking oh, yes, about? Indeed. Yeah, the psychoanalytic yeah. goat or something. Yes, yes, yeah. smoking the psychoanalytic goat. Yeah, yeah. My, my eventually successful attempts to give up smoking. Yeah, smoking is, uh, you know, unbelievably wonderful thing to do from so many different angles, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. Why would, I, why would we kill ourselves in this bizarre way if it wasn't such a wonderful thing to do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Um, very good. Look, we're at an hour. Um, what we might do is, uh, I, I might, your book is, hold it up there again, on, it's on Amazon at the moment. It's on Amazon at the moment. It can be bought at the moment indeed, yeah. And it's on, uh, well, it's on, uh, I'll do the sale for you. <laughs> well, thank it's, you very it's, much. it's on Kindle. Can you get it on the Kindle? Not yet. But not yet. It will be soon, but not yet, yeah. 
Okay. At the moment, you have to have a real physical object. Yeah, yeah but it's nice the smell of a real book anyway, yeah, and I'm, arriving I'm, in through your door. It's I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm still very quite addicted to the book as a physical object. I still haven't got used to the idea of the electronic book. Oh, I just hopefully it will be out there soon, yeah. There's something amazing about the smell of a fresh book yeah. in your hand and the potential of it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's on Amazon and you can buy it there. Yeah, it's, not, it's not on, on non-duality press. It's No. No. No, okay. this has been, actually I put a little plug in here if any publishers are watching this, can I do that? This has been, I think the uh, phrase now is independently published. Yes, very good. And um, at some point I would dearly love to find an agent who would get it out there to a commercial publisher and so that great piles of it can be found in British bookshops. So that's my next task. There you go, a little bit of, little bit of advertising there. Yeah, if there's a publisher get on the phone now oh, yeah, sell a bazillion copies of it. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if, if there's a publisher out there who wants a dead cert in a bestseller, get on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I highly recommend it. Um, so, there you go. Otherwise, that's two of us. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to uh, stop the recording. And this is me stopping the recording. <laughs> Hi, if you like the conversation that I just had and you'd like more, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you. Frank, Frank, come on, man.